welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts to remain updated. If you want to reach me, you can do that on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can find me on Facebook at the Sound of the Moment page, and you can email me directly at pat at soundofthemoment.com. I plan to keep the show free to download and listen to, but if you do feel like supporting me and helping to cover the costs of production and hosting, you can make monthly or one-off donations via the Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash moment. Thank you so much to those of you who already support me that way. This is episode number 35 for the 4th of March 2019. My guest is saxophonist Jasper Blom. His latest record is entitled Polyphony, with his regular bandmates Jesper van Ruder on guitar, Franz van der Hooven on bass, and Martijn Fink on drums, plus a couple of guest soloists. We'll begin with a piece that features trumpeter Bert Joris. This is Virele.
saxophonist, band leader, uh, composer Jasper Blom is my guest today on the show. Jasper, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Pat. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. It's an honor. Um, I always like to begin by asking my guests to introduce themselves a bit in their own words, tell people a bit about who you are, what your background is, what you do. That's a very vague question, but... Um. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'm a um, um, saxophonist with a broad interest, I suppose, um, or at least that's how I look at it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from a traditional angle, maybe, and um, through kind of an evolutionary process, um, ending up in different musical situations, trying to build my own um, style and uh, by, you know, basically studying all kinds of different subjects that have fascinated me over the years. Um, Same goes for composing. I'm kind of an amateur composer. I <laughs> um, haven't really had an education in that, but you know, by just studying masters and 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 collecting um, different things uh, throughout the years, I think I've sort of managed to find something of an own identity. Yeah, um, actually, so that's a thing that you mentioned to me before uh, before we had this conversation that you. You use the word evolutionary um, as far as your style is concerned. I'm interested in what that is. Uh, like, how how exactly does that manifest the idea of an evolutionary process in an artistic process? Like, are we talking across an entire career, or I think the 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 the, the, the evolutionary part um, already came in that I I, I never I never cancelled out any kind of style. I think that that's where it started. I I I was never really interested in. Uh, I I wasn't even interested in 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 people who were saying, "Ah, oh, you're not supposed to do that," or "You're not supposed <laughs> to do that." So I I would always give a lot of things and a lot of musicians and and and, and styles also, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt in a way, and mm-hmm. would try to get like my own thing out of that. And um, uh, there's a nice there's a nice an- anecdote actually of of a, of a friend of mine, uh, David Berkman, and um, he was once uh, uh, in a car driving to a gig uh, with um, Brian Blade, famous drummer, of course. Yeah. And they were flipping radio stations, uh, which means you know they were going from one radio station to another one. And uh, and so this this uh, this tune of Edda James popped up, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a cheesy tune. And David Berkman, uh, you know, was already uh, was already like like uh, moving his hand to to to, to yeah, switch to the to next the dial, radio yeah. station. And then Brian Blade said, "No, no, 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 no! Stop, stop, stop! Check out how the guitar players plays that lick in the bridge." <laughs> and <clears throat> that made me really think, you know, this is such a great musician, Brian Blade, and he had, you know, he 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 didn't only check like the great composers and the great music, but also in like not so great music, he knew exactly what to distinguish uh, in there. You know, there, there's there's always there's always something. There's in a lot of music and a lot of styles. There's something that that can be very. Uh, attractive, even if the whole picture might not be that interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of I suppose that's my angle. Yeah. yeah. No, and that that seems to me like it speaks to something that is true of the like the history of jazz in general, which is that jazz has typically embraced all styles of music and that this idea of like restricting ourselves to a specific thing whether it's the idea of like no the tradition is this and only this or whatever is feels like a fairly recent phenomenon to me like maybe the past 50 years like if you go back to i mean ellington said it right the idea of like there's two types of music there's good music and there's everything else um i wonder if the do you feel like there's something generational about that uh that kind of idea of like openness to other styles is it does it also have something to do with like the broad access that we have nowadays to just about everything like the current generation can listen to everything at the click of a button um yeah i don't know if that has anything to do with yeah um uh well I think you know on 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 the topic of of the tradition coming back or making like a uh, um, like a renaissance. Mm-hmm. That's what you. Uh, um, uh, I think part of that came out of the of the seventies, uh, where um, you first had like a, a a wave of free and improvised music, and after that a wave of of like more uh, rock oriented music, mm-hmm. where it seems like like the whole. Tradition was really far away at a, at a certain point, um, and of course, um, after that, there was probably a wave of, of musicians who said, "Oh, yeah, only the tradition. We only have to go back to the fifties, and we have to sound like this person or that person." And um, I don't know. I've I've always I've always moved in between those things. I I, I you know I really enjoy at the home. I just. For me, it's not really like an agenda. I, I enjoy, you know, working on 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 some Parker solo or, or getting inspired by that. And and the next, you know, the next moment, I might, you know, uh, work on on something completely different, like like uh, uh, sheets of sounds or or something like that. Yeah. So um, I think. Uh, we're going towards a uh, an era where 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 you have to be more flexible on uh, you know in all these things, mm-hmm. and you have to adapt to uh, certain styles and etc. Uh, etc. Et yeah, but so how do you find? Um, I suppose this comes back to this idea of an evolutionary pro- like process. Like, how do you find the coherence in all of that, or do you find the coherence in all of that, or is it a matter of saying? This is my Edda James project, and this is my like sheets of sound project, and everything in between. Like, is there a way for you to? I mean, obviously there must be a way, but I'm I'm interested in what that, how that manifests. Um, well, that's that, that's a big dilemma, absolutely, and um, uh, th- that is something for everybody to to uh, you know to solve for him or herself. You know, after after having embraced all kinds of influences, how. You know how how do you how are you going to emulate that? Uh, it's a it's a big artistic dilemma, and you can't you can't go around it. I suppose you have to you have to embrace the problem itself, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and 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 you know live inside it. I suppose for a while before you start gravitating towards uh, certain choices. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, in my own, um, in my own case, um, 
I think another thing is uh, for, for me it's it's very much it's, it's not so much about uh um really making making like you know like a an a choice without any doubt, you know, a direction or okay, this is where I'm going or something like that. It's more of a um of a way of developing. I've I've you know, I've uh, at the moment not that much, but I there was a time where I was playing more improvised music or like completely uh free uh stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh just going on stage with with people like Arnold Doyweert and you know, no agenda, nothing. Yeah. And um <clears throat> I um and of course, you know, the the one of the uh, things that was that I really got out of that was the, 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 the complete fixation on sound, basically. Yeah. You know, sound is like the uh <clears throat> if you if you just take away melody, harmony and, and, and rhythm, you end up with sound. <laughs> yeah. And which is, you know, which is basically number one, of course, when you when you put on some some kind of music the first thing you hear is sound yeah i always whenever i'm dealing with students uh, uh, that don't have that focus on sound i always point out that it's like dealing with a sculptor who like takes a really crappy piece of wood yeah. <laughs> and it's like you probably want to start with a better piece of wood yeah. and then work from there into something that makes sense rather than you know you can apply everything you want but if the basic shape of what you're starting from is not great then what are you yeah even doing yeah exactly and so I try to I try to keep that uh, idea of sound. I um, I think what what happened is, is that I went back to listening to Coltrane, John Coltrane, and then the 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 the, the some of the records that he was, uh, like for instance the, the Giant Steps record. I'm, I'm talking now about the record, not the not the track itself, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but the other uh, some of the other uh, some of the other. Um, uh, some of the other uh, tracks that he's playing there, and 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 also some of his work before, where, where he's you know when he's recording standards with his quartet. Yeah. Uh, and I started hearing that music in a different in a different way. I did. I started hearing it actually not anymore as a, you know, as a, as kind of a harmonic or uh, 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 you know masterpiece or you know his playing, but more as a you know, as sounds that he was making, you know, sounds on top of a of chord changes or or sounds that he was um, associating with with the with the particular uh, standard he was playing. So I I I, I think I uh, from that moment on, and and also because of some lessons with with uh, Joe Lovano, where he was just talking about sounds and shapes and colors and everything. I started approaching more straight ahead music more as a uh, uh, as if it were like some kind of uh, improvised music thing. Yeah, and 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 so um, I guess what I want to say is that my um, hanging out in improvised music really helped me to advance in straight ahead music and yeah. the other way too. Actually, the mm-hmm. other way too in in a, maybe in a less more obvious way like this, but like the kind of structure of things that 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 jazz harmony has you know it can be adapted very well in 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 more you know free uh free music situations yeah no of course and it's always that thing right that 
we talk about free music as though it means that it has to do away with everything else. But the point is that you should be free to play Edda Jones if you, <laughs> Edda yeah. James if you wanted to, yeah. uh, right? And that that it, that is also a form of freedom in a way. But so yeah, I uh, I mean obviously I want to talk uh, a bit more specifically about your new record. Um, I'm sure that that will lead us down other paths of. Uh, of uh, conversation, but uh, so you have got a new quartet album called Polyphony. Maybe before we talk about the record itself, we should uh, talk about your quartet because um, it. Uh, you guys have been working together for, I guess, almost fifteen years or something. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can speak a bit about the the guys that are in the band and a bit about the history, um, and I suppose a bit about how the how everything we just discussed applies to that band. Because I suppose when you play with the same people for 10, 15 years, everybody evolves in a certain way and therefore the band evolves in a certain way and all these kind of diff- changing aesthetics probably apply in interesting ways, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean this, this band came out of, um, you know, basically my buddies, my musical buddies that I hang out with and, and uh, you know, what happens, you... You know, you start uh, forming a band together. I was the guy who was always writing and and organizing the concert, so kind mm-hmm. of ended up being the band leader. Uh, and it was, uh, and it was, and it still is actually kind of a playground for me. Um, we started off, you know, like I suppose, like every band starts. So you know, I, I had a couple of tunes on the shelf. It was, um, of course, influenced by uh, yeah, by a lot of people, but. Mainly, it was all about the tunes that I had on the shelf and that we, that I knew would work well with that band. And uh, <clears throat> um, after that, I suppose I started. Um, well, there's a couple of things that I I, I started to uh, develop my writing. Um, well, uh, one thing was. That um, that's always that's been a, a, a long time passion for me is medieval music. So that's you know, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen century music. Yeah. Um, that I thought that some of the sounds that I heard there would work very well with guitar and saxophone. So uh, that's been like a a major source of inspiration for a long time. Yeah. Um, I guess that's one one of the pillars. Uh, another pillar which came was that I uh, tried to think about uh, more conceptual writing. Um, so, um, you know, writing a composition with with the question "What if?" that that would be often my starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, what if? Yeah, and then. Dot dot dot. You, you, you can just basically fill in anything in the dots. Yeah. And if you you know if if that's if that's your starting point, obviously you're going to end up uh, with total totally different music than if you're um, you know if you're sitting behind the piano and trying to find a, a melody and, and some nice chords <laughs> to it or something like that or a yeah. bass line with with some some hits or something. Yeah. I don't know. So. Um, uh, well, there you go. That was one thing. Um, I mean, there was another thing. Uh, also, after a while, 
I think another thing that I, w- I wanted to uh, experiment a little bit with a group improvisation, um, you know, try to find how uh, I would write down patterns or, or, or things and I would sort of instruct a group or usually it would actually happen uh, spontaneously that, that, you know, people would leave that certain pattern or that certain... Um, mm-hmm. This, you know, the notes I wrote down yeah, basically. Sure. Yeah. So, so it became more and more loose in in its in interpretation of my music, and and uh, so I guess, yeah, those are some of the things that. Yeah, but so do you like as the composer slash band leader in this case? Like, do you feel like it's really important that the guys in the band like? embrace and like how much of the it sounds like the compositional process being that conceptual leaves a lot of openness to them and therefore how important is it for them to both embrace and understand fully what it is that you mean um in what you're bringing in terms of material um well i'll 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 tell them in words what i want yeah uh one thing another thing i have to say also is that i um you know these rehearsals Especially in the beginning, they're they're like painstakingly. I mean, they're they're, uh, you know, I come with some some paper with with some something scribbled on it, and mm-hmm. they don't know what it's going to sound like. They don't know what I want. Uh, uh, usually, they get irritated and they get angry <laughs> at me and, and all of that. So I get a lot of shit. Uh, you know, <coughs> I don't know if Martin Fink is listening to this or yes, Who knows? No, 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 they they're they're very patient. They're also they have a lot of patience actually with me. So I really so I have to mm-hmm. you know respect. Uh, but um, it's no it's it's just not always a pleasant process because I don't know what's you know I'm just trying something and uh, and it happens often. It so happens often that that at the end of the rehearsal I I end up with something completely different than than the thing that I started with. Yeah. And that's it. That's another part of, of of the process that I, you know, I I try not to be uh, like a control freak uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, my composing. Yeah. So if it comes out another way, then then that's uh, that's that's fine too. If yeah. it works like another uh, another way. Yeah. But so, do you like working with the same people for so long? Is there like like how do you again talking about the idea of consistency and the idea of revolving together and stuff like I can only assume that whether it's Jesse Matein or, or Franz that ten fifteen years ago they were very different musicians than the musicians that they are now just so much as you are um, how has that like do you feel like there's a through line that you guys have maintained uh, or has it been a matter of hey we're getting together again and now this is the you know. 2010 version of the the quartet and this is the 2015 version of the quartet like how how do you envision that um well there's 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 one thing um i there's certainly like earlier versions of of compositions and later versions of of compositions so there's mm-hmm. certainly like uh, early performances of 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 some of my music and and later performances and usually the later performances are better or more loose or more you know it's almost like an uh, like an old old winter jacket or something like that yeah 
definitely. Uh, and and I encourage everybody in the band to 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 you know to do that. Or I don't even have to encourage it because it it it, it uh, just happens. Yeah. So um, my thing always is I prefer I, I actually prefer to record you know the the later version rather than the than the yeah than the earlier version. So. Um, uh, with you know the coming the coming record the, the polyphony, um, I was very lucky that we could perform the, the the music that I had written for for you know eight or ten times before we actually put it on the record. Yeah. Uh, commercially, of course, that's not a good move because you want to sell CDs at the, at the concert. <laughs> so I, I I didn't have anything to sell. You know, yeah. the first first twenty concerts, and mm-hmm. now uh, uh, I have like. Uh, I don't know, like three concerts left, and I have a CD. Out, so, <laughs> so <Yeah. coughs> but you know, artistically, it worked very well because you know everybody felt you know everybody had found its its role in the music, and mm-hmm. that that was very important. We 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 really needed to go to that pro, uh, through that process uh, before I actually was ready to record, and then especially live because it's it's kind of. Um, it's kind of complicated music. Not, I mean. You know, maybe not like technically, but there's just all kinds of things happening and and all kinds of cues every now and then. So, um, to make it sound loose, it really takes some time. So I'm, I'm I'm very happy the way it turned out because there's relatively not many mistakes and it's only one take live. <laughs> yeah, so, of you know, there's nothing you can edit or or anything like yeah. that. So that's that's that feels good. Um, and the other thing that I chose a long time ago is um, this band is a, is a band that's been long together, but you know, tech, uh, I mean, uh, practically spoken, uh, we can only we can only play like ten or fifteen times a year. Yeah, we cannot you know we cannot do major tours anymore or uh, nothing like that. It doesn't work like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, I was I was thinking about about this. Um, a while ago and thought, yeah, well, you know, I might as well do this like the Miles Davis quintet used to. I mean, they would go into the studio and record all this new music of Wayne Shorter or, or you know, of her or Herbie Hancock. And then at night they would just play My Funny Valentine and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, for like, I mean, 20, what is it, 10, 10, 10 years that they yeah. were into existence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have a couple of those tunes that we that we've been playing for a long time, and that we know we sound good and 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 loose and in our own comfort zone, but also you know we can take risks and we know where we're going. Yeah, we have a couple of those when we you know when we go out and play. Yeah, that's also. interesting. So how? Um, I mean, I guess you say you guys only can play ten, fifteen times a year or something. Is that a? Is that from the nature of? the way the business is now or is it simply that you happen to have a band that is collectively for very busy people that are playing with all kinds of different projects or combination of the two like how it's a combination of the two i mean uh, i mean um, some of some of my band members are really busy like crazy mm-hmm. uh, the other thing of course is that holland is a real small uh, country so yeah, of course. Uh, you can't you know once you play all the clubs uh, it, it it usually means Especially for the saxophonist, it means that you, you know, you can't come back like the next, uh, the next year. 
<coughs> you can try to come back in another band, but they'll probably notice or something like that. <laughs> ah, yeah, right, okay. ah, you again? Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, the whole thing has changed. I mean, I know, you know, just the generation just above me, like the guys who are 10 years older, they, mm. you know, they would go... They would go to Germany for for like two and a half months, mm. and then basically play in that two and a half months. They they would do like thirty forty concerts, and then yeah. and then you know they would be more on the road actually than than uh, than uh, than at home. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of unheard of nowadays, right? That's uh, that's almost unheard of. So yeah. the, you know, one thing you can do is find a place in your home, you know, in the town where you live, and 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 see if you can sort of book a fixed gig there and then work from there. But yeah, with the quartet, I don't think that's going to happen. I yeah. think it's going to be like this, which is cool. Also, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy. You know? And so yeah, the. The other very obvious thing about this record is that you feature guest soloists, and that's something that you have done a few times in your career already with the quartet. I'm interested in, I mean, obviously I'd like you to speak about the soloists that you have on this record a bit as kind of individuals and as musicians, but also I'm interested in the idea of bringing in an external element into something that is kind of a established, well-established sound, which is the quartet that has been around for so long. Like, what does that do to a band to bring somebody in how do you find the right people to do that um is there uh yeah does does it require a specific type of person to be able to kind of just jump in and, and make it work because it obviously does work um but yeah i don't know if you have thoughts on that uh, um i think um, the the more you know after a while it's, it started really feeling like a unit so i started experimenting with 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 a couple of these things um some of the things I did were actually uh, like older experiments uh, done again. Uh, you know, um, there's a tune that we recorded uh, on our third album with uh, Tutu Puana, South African uh, yeah. singer, mm. and we'd been recording that tune like I think five or six years before that. So it mm. was on the shelf, and I thought, okay, one day I want to do this again with 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 Tutu and recorded. Yeah. Uh, so, um, there were a couple of straight ahead, more like straight ahead tunes that we, that we played in the beginning. Uh, so I thought it would be a great idea to invite Dick Oates yeah. to just see how he would, you know, and he sounded great on that. So that gave me like a little bit more courage to, to try and see what we can do. Yeah. Um, we played with a, a great uh, trumpet player who unfortunately passed away, Marco Tamburini. Yeah. By the way, our record is dedicated to his memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, slowly, slowly, I started warming up to that to that whole idea of actually fitting in uh, an extra person, and and you know we would be carrying the music, and there would be this other guy who could. Ju- either jump in or not, and and you know or, uh, that that was the beginning, and then after a <clears throat> uh, after a while, I, I started thinking, okay, now it's maybe time to to actually you know do do something more structural with with the guest soloist. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, again, I guess it's more like a it's an or, organical <laughs> thing for me. Sure, I'm yeah. not that much. Sorry, I'm not that much of a re- revolutionary. I'm an evolutionary. <laughs> but so what? Uh, so the guests on this record are Bert Joris on, on trumpet and Nils Volkheim on on trombone. Can yeah. you speak a bit about them and why uh, how that relationship came about? And yeah, well, Bert, Bert is like an old time friend of of ours. Of um, you know, we all share a past with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that felt very uh, that felt kind of a logic musical um extension uh we wanted to have we, i wanted to try a trumpet player uh so he, you know for us for i think for all of us he's one of the greatest uh, uh mel- melody players especially here here in europe yeah 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 and um um he's he's one of those uh Guys, I suppose that you're really jealous. You're, you're, you envy. You know, as a, as a saxophone player who's always, it's kind, it's kind of a technical instrument, isn't it? Saxophone. So it's, it's always like you're always thinking, I have to, you know, play this sixteen line or, or play these hip notes, and then, and then, I can really make a mark or something like that. And then this trumpet player is sitting next to you, and he, he just plays like three simple notes and. <laughs> Blows you completely away. On but stage. I guess that goes back to Miles, right? <laughs> like it goes back to the idea of Miles always hired a saxophone player to do a bunch of stuff. Like the yeah. the anecdote with uh, Dave Liebman, where he tells him people just like to see you move your fingers, right? There was a thing like that <laughs> where he was like, "Why do you call me? I I play so many notes." He's like, "Nah, man, somebody's got to do that. I'm over here not doing that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles was always actually actually yeah he was always going for the contrast in the band. Yeah, and he uh, actually he had that from Charlie Parker because mm-hmm. people used to walk up to Charlie Parker and say, "Why, why, you know, why Miles Davis? Why now Dizzy Gillespie?" He said, "Ah, looking for the contrast in the band." Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Bert um, felt like a logical, um, a logical um, extension of our band. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I was, I was. Um, I, well, like I said in the beginning, I, uh, I've been uh, having this fascination on and off for fifteenth uh, century music, and um, I, I did. I basically decided it would be a good idea to go back to that uh, to that tradition and sort of focus on the Flemish part of that tradition because there's some uh, there's there's a really a big list of Flemish uh, polyphonists, yeah. polyphonic composers. Who um, uh, who had a yeah major impact on on the medieval music in in, in Europe? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to to make that a project yeah. with with Bert. And <clears throat> after that, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it so much um, that I th- thought about an, uh, another horn to add to the band. And I was, of course, I, I I knew I knew Niels already from his work for, with uh, many things. Not only the, you know, he's got this great quintet with uh, the where he um, with the alto player, um, and uh, but he's 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 an amazing writer. He's an amazing player also. Yeah, definitely. So you know, I was I was really happy that he 
uh, would play with us and uh, uh, decided, kind of decided to 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 sort of take that whole idea of polyphony and uh, polyphony and you know use it more in a in a um, metaphoric way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of the influences on my on the second recording were more like Hindemith and, and Stravinsky and Bartok rather than yeah, okay. the old guys. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm I'm really interested in that in in diving more into detail about the. I mean, not that I expect everybody listening to be super steeped into like the idea of music theory and everything, but like the idea of going back to a pre-Western harmony time um, for a source of inspiration. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very hard, I can imagine, as a trained jazz musician to kind of approach music from a non-harmonic standpoint and from purely like a, like basically a horizontal way rather than a vertical way. Um, is that something that you've, is that something that you've had to work on also with the guys in the band? I'm interested also in what like Yes's role becomes in that because obviously he has the ability to play harmonies and yet you're talking about non-harmonic uh, information. Like I, I I don't know if I'm making any sense with yeah, my no, question. No, no, absolutely, but, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a dilemma because you want you know in the end you want people to also solo on it in um uh, or I guess at that I guess at that time I wanted people to solo on it. Uh, as a, I wanted still to sound maybe a little bit like a, you know, like a real jazz quintet. So mm-hmm. um, I had to translate certain polyphonic uh, passages into more vertical, yeah, fourth uh, type of structures. Um, but uh, I think with the, I think with the. Um, I think I I still try to keep it like in um, try to kind of maintain in a way this this horizontal this horizontal um, direction in it, um, you know by actually by using somebody like 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 uh, Bert Joris to play on it, you know mm-hmm. who is you know who's not like a real vertical player. I think I think it kind of also changed my way of playing. I, yeah. Um, looking back, actually, because I didn't realize it at the moment, but I was, I was more playing horizontally than 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 you know than really like, you know, I wasn't attacking changes or something like yeah. that. You know, shredding, <laughs> shredding chords or something yeah. like that. No, that's interesting. I always felt like um, I mean, I remember studying some like medieval medieval music back when I was in high school, and I always found like. There are moments in there that sound more contemporary than a lot of like whatever nineteenth century music, I suppose you could say. Um, exactly. Simply because you end up getting these forms of tension that were completely forbidden later on, but at yes. the time it's like this just naturally happens according to the rules of the yeah. way these lines go together. Yes. And at certain, you get different forms of tension and release than the ones that you would yeah. have from like Bach's idiom, basically. Exactly, and um, that's 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 the that was the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually constantly surprised, and I still am constantly surprised 
if I listen to that music, the, you know, the, way, the, the, the direction where the music goes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's so unsuspected, and yet because of the melodies, it all works. You know, yeah, it all, um, yeah, but and, yeah, yeah. Now, is is there a specific? Uh, I mean, I guess we've kind of discussed it already, but is there specific techniques? Like, how? What was your research process like? Is it just something that has always just been hanging around for you that you've always been surrounded by? Hey, I'm going to listen to some 15th century music right now, or did you have to go and dive into like researching, like going and finding pieces and and like was there was there an uh, a deep dive into that stuff to extract the material or? Uh, uh, well, the, one of the first things I discovered because um, I, I I knew the I you know I knew some of that material I suppose maybe also from music history lessons or through another you know just or sitting somewhere with a friend and just playing music to mm-hmm. each other so I knew some of that music but it, it had never really like you know sometimes music can really kick in and 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 uh, <clears throat> uh, I hadn't had that feeling until actually I was on the internet and surfing a little bit uh, and I discovered this uh, Japanese site where somebody had put a lot of those medieval music but in MP3, so it was all in in like really primitive synthesizer format. Okay, yeah. And I don't know. I'm I'm I might have smoked some grass or something that that night <laughs> when I was checking out that site, but it, it just totally blew me out. Because yeah. here was this 15th century music, and it was all in really crummy synthesizer sounds coming out of the computer <laughs> and it was this you know this contrast between the two yeah uh, 2000 years apart from each other or something and and or, or i don't know 15 no, yeah. I'm, I'm exaggerating 500 500 years, yeah. 500 years apart from each other and 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 that combination was just so weird that i uh, i i basically um really got into it uh, through that way, and later on, mm. I you know I started hearing the real, the real thing, the 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 the, the great work of you know the Welgas Ensemble is one of the things that I really checked out a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip van Herenwegen, you know some some fantastic directors in that music that uh, do you know great music, great work. Yeah, uh, but uh, the note for notes. Um, like the note for note in depth exercise that 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 comes actually from those from those files and 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 studying those and and zooming in on certain uh certain notes or certain movements mm-hmm. and um yeah getting getting hipped to it right yeah i i mean i suppose i've kind of asked this question in a certain way already uh but maybe not on this specific topic. Like, how important is it to you that your bandmates uh, relate to and understand this kind of material? Like, is it is it a similar process that you're coming in and saying, "Guys, this is what I want you to do. Here's some music. This is how it works." Or do they have to understand that idea of like like linear playing and like how how do you get that across to them without necessarily having to require them to go and you know dive into 15th century music? Or maybe they do anyway. I don't know. 
No, I don't. I don't really. Um, I don't really ask them to, you know, to to go on the same trip as I do because that's that's it's almost more like a composer trip, I think, for mm-hmm. me. And and you know, me just being inspired by something and and coming up with some music, um, which is inspired on on certain sounds and and and, and melodies and chords of of you know that or chords I shouldn't say maybe like sounds. That come out of medieval tradition. Uh, once it, once it, um, you know, once I've composed my own thing and I take it to the to the rehearsal room, it, it becomes a different thing. Basically, it becomes mm-hmm. okay. This, these are the notes. These these are the things that I have. How how can we, you know, how can we make this work for our own band? How can yeah. we find a spot for everybody uh, to make him him self sound good in that particular um uh, musical so it's it's you know you just take it to the to the to the next stage mm-hmm. um um it's never been uh my intention to you know just make everybody improvise in a medieval way or something or mm-hmm. you know it's yeah it's it's it's, it's just you know, you use a certain thing uh, to to just get to another to to get to another to uh, to write something else than you might have written when yeah. you just stay in the same corner. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm I'm interested in like how, without having to tell them, guys, I want you to improvise in a medieval way. Does that still kind of happen? Like the fact that you're bringing material that is somewhat different from the way it normally might be. Do do you see that echoed in the in the way the improvising happens, do you make any efforts to push things in that particular direction, or like is it just I've written these tunes and now we're going to treat them the way we would treat the tunes, no matter what the sales material was? I think the tunes themselves provoke something else than they would, than they you know then um, they would play in a, in a different situation. That that for sure. Yeah. So. Um, but I'm always very much, um, um, yeah. In that way, I, I might be a passive band leader, you know. But <laughs> I mean, yeah. But the same like like Miles, you know. Yeah. He, he would only, you know, he would just put somebody in a situation and and say, okay, do it. Yeah. You know. Um, I think I, what I definitely do because I, uh, you know, they're all they're always, you know, basically new music always starts with complaining. So they always complain that they, <laughs> you know, they're out of their because they are out of their comfort zone. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They're yeah. out of their comfort zone, and they have to find a new. They have to find a new comfort zone. Yeah. So, but you know, so that's what I, yeah, that's what I come come with. You yeah, know, that's what I introduce. I, I introduce music that is not really. You know, in their comfort zone, but you know, once we start playing it and they start getting used to the sound, etc. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like the idea of challenging a musician's comfort zone by composition is always something that's interesting. Uh, like, you know, you have that in a lot of like Stravinsky's stuff, right? Where you will write in a register that you know that that orchestral bassoon player is not going to be comfortable doing that. No. Except now, obviously, whatever, a hundred years later, everybody understands that that's just something you need to be able to do as an orchestral bassoon player but the yeah. idea of finding what are things that are going to create that tension purely of like oh can I even 
manage to play this thing, right? Yeah. Um, that's something I like to play with. What yeah. about your own comfort zone? Like how how do you approach this music to, are you writing, I feel like that's a common thing, right? That people will write stuff because they see things that they want to challenge in themselves in their own playing and that they want to like, oh, I want to develop this side of my playing and therefore I'm going to write to, like not necessarily in the form of like, I'm going to write etudes that are going to teach me how to play this particular way. But um, do you do you feel like you, I, you, are you also pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone by doing this? Yeah, but not 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 with an agenda. So I'm not writing. I hardly write tunes where I think, oh, um, this tune will put me in this and this situation, so I can, you know, mm-hmm. I can really work on that or something like that. <laughs> but I do, um, I do have to practice these tunes, and I, I I usually sound terrible on them the first first two, three times, you know, because I, I, I haven't got a faintest idea how I'm, you know, I just come up with something I really like and that I'm influenced by. But, you know, big question mark how that saxophone is going to fit in usually in the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I just have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> too, you know? but so I get you, angry at myself too. Are, are you writing? <laughs> this is a this is a really boring question, maybe. But are you writing at the piano? Are you writing no, just no, with? No, I'm not paper never music? write. No, um, almost never. Almost never at the piano. Okay. Almost so never. what? What is it? Is it from the saxophone? Is it from singing? Is it from just? Uh, it sitting? could be from saxophone. It, I mean, almost never is is like okay. There's 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 sometimes. I think I wrote. Uh, Waltz for Magnus at the piano or something like the opening tune of that yeah. of that piece. But it was actually it was actually uh, some of it was coming out of the of changes that I found in a medieval song. So, okay, so yeah. I was, you know, um, what else? I yeah, I study I study the sounds in that you know I zoom in on certain uh, medieval. Uh, sounds of music, um, fragments. I get inspired by that, um, and then either you know I work out a melody with this, with the saxophone. You know that might be a strategy. A strategy. I don't think I do that. You know, even that I do not all the time. I, mm-hmm. um, how shall I say? I think it's important not to. Uh, write have the same setup while writing. Yeah. Uh, at the, you know, so you might write a tune at the at, at the at the piano. You might write a tune on on the saxophone. You might, you know, you might actually write a tune just singing or putting, you know, or getting a poem and 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 write changes underneath of that. You know. Yeah. Whatever, but I think it's important uh, to change your writing. Routine uh, regularly because yeah. um, um, I hear I hear it sometimes um, that you know when when people write the same tune over and over <laughs> again yeah and I know that for myself that sometimes that I do that yeah. if I if I you know get really into a routine of writing you know I come with like four or five pieces and then we play through it and it's actually the same piece all the time yeah you know <laughs> so. Um, I think the best, yeah, the best departure point is is maybe 
um, sit down and, and just write down in words what you're actually going to do. Hmm. I think that that has that has really you know the couple of times that I've done that that really has provoked something else that you know. Hmm. That's interesting. That's not something that had occurred to me really. So like the, 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 the thing of what what would happen if yeah you know, exactly that's what you that, started with yeah you know, the what if question yeah yeah and, uh, yeah. yeah no cool um, I mean I, I I know obviously we've been speaking about like uh, 15th century music and stuff but I I I know that you're very interested in classical music uh, in general um, specifically I know you've worked quite a bit with French impressionism um, you've oh, yeah. you've done a lot of that kind of stuff um, I'm interested in how I mean, it probably parallels a bit the way you discuss how 15th century music influences your composing, but I always I always like to ask people that are into like the idea of bringing classical music into their jazz or vice versa or whatever it is, like how do you avoid being like the jazz meets classical thing? Because that, I mean, yeah. I, I, there's nothing more annoying to me than that kind of like... Yeah, uh, we just took two things and we smashed them together, and they don't fit, and we don't know how to make them fit, but yeah. it's good enough, kind of. Yeah, like, how, but it seems to me like you're obviously like that's obviously not anything like your approach. And so, how is there a a, a general like uh, approach that you have to how you bring in these different things? I think I only use classical music at a very early stage of the writing, mm-hmm. so. And I only did it once. I did it. Um, I think I did it differently, um, and that was more of a of a collective group writing. Actually, um, I used to have this band with uh, Joris Hulovs, mm-hmm. uh, and we used to play. Um, uh, actually, it was uh, it set out very nicely. I mean, Joris came and studied with me for a while, and he he brought he started bringing this music of of Debussy and and asked me, yeah, well, what do you think and and isn't this great music? Yeah, of course, it's great music. You know, well, and in the end, we said, well, you know, what? Why don't we just put a band together and start playing that music and see what happens? Mm-hmm. So we were, uh, so we selected a couple of the, his piano works, and um, uh, we had a couple of writers in the band. I mean, yours was writing. Clemens uh, did some writing, and I. Uh, I wrote some, or actually, you know, like a sort of arranging. Actually, it was because we used that music of of, of Debussy, mm-hmm. and the fascinating thing, of course, was that we uh, we ended up with total, totally different quintet music than um, than we would have ended up with if 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 you know everybody would have just written a tune or something like yeah. that. So we, we actually, you know, we used his music, we used Debussy's music as a kind of a roadmap or something. We played his his notes and we would sort of take little things and loop that and have somebody solo on that and then move on to yeah. the next part. Um, but it was really interesting in, in terms of, you know, the result in a way because, it, you know, it... It, we ended up playing totally totally different music than we would have done if we would have followed any other strategy. Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, that was interesting. I think, um, yeah, the classical meets jazz is not my favorite either. But what I'm saying is, actually, uh, I, uh, you know, I just take like really little f- 
relatively small fragments from things. And um, and then try to fit it yeah, into a, 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 a broader structure, I suppose. And also... F- yeah, for, forget about it after a while. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm a, I'm a jazz musician. I'm, I write for my own band. I, you know, I want my own band to sound good. Um, I do have an agenda as a composer, but I'm I'm I, I'll gladly, you know, move into another direction any any time that agenda uh, becomes like a pressure thing or yeah. forces me to you know do something. Yeah. So um yeah. I suppose uh for me that works yeah. like that. It's interesting cuz I feel like there's a parallel there to be drawn. Like if we're talking specifically about Debussy, it's like Debussy himself was inspired by a bunch of jazz music at the time, or at least what people would call like proto jazz music, mm-hmm. I suppose. But obviously, you only hear that when you go in and like try to find where the jazz is. But it's obviously there. Um, but I suppose the way he did classical does jazz like is similar to the way you might do jazz does classical, which is take some of that stuff. Don't necessarily need to like rip it apart and and fit it back together into what you do, but just use yeah. it as kind of like part of the palette, I suppose, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, cool. Yeah, I uh, There's another topic, I mean, uh, I guess we're kind of reaching the end of this conversation, but I, I do want to touch on one thing with you, is that you, so you teach at the conservatory, yeah? Right. Um, and you also, uh, I mean, certainly since I've been here, I felt like you've always been somebody who has been particularly supportive of the younger generation, um, whether it's in organizing the session at the BIM house or whether it's in, you know, actually playing with younger musicians or like, uh, and obviously in all of your teaching, like, is that something you can speak to a bit about the idea of, of, um, of supporting the new generation? And also, I suppose, are there any trends that you see in the new generation? Like what, is there anything that you're getting back from that? Like, yeah, can you speak yeah. a bit on that in general? Oh, certainly. Um, um, I I see myself as a as a part. Um, it, it 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 has been. It, it took a while, but I I see myself as a part of a of a community. So that's that's how I like to see myself. Mm-hmm. As a you know, we're all here out in Amsterdam. We're all trying to contribute to this music, um, and. Um, I like to serve that community um, in a way that I that I can. Um, so, uh, hence, you know, the sessions and 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 all that things because I think it's very important that you that there, you know there should be as many places as possible for younger students to just go out and play and learn how to play, etc., etc. Et mm. um, so. Uh, that's a very important thing, and also because um, uh, I think, in a way, it it might be harder now than than when I started, uh, because there's you know lots of competition. Um, there's not as many places where uh, where you can uh, uh, where you can 
not as many clubs, I should say, where you can actually perform your own music, especially not when you're young and when you're starting out. Um, so uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoy the energy that I get from from uh, from young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy the the the, the interaction. Um, I always ask them questions like, "What what are you listening to? What's you know who you you know who's your hero?" What are you doing? What are you studying? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, so, I mean, it sounds like I'm only, you know, I'm, I'm not a Mother Teresa or something. I'm, I'm, I'm just basically, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of them also because, you know, they, they check out so many. Younger people usually still are really in the process of checking out anything that's out there. So, you know, they're a source of information and, and inspiration for me. So, uh, and, and I benefit from yeah. that very much. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's really refreshing to hear. I mean, I, I say this, like, uh, what you're saying makes sense, but I don't think it's necessarily commonplace. So I think it's important that we celebrate it to a certain extent because I know that when I studied, I would get frustrated with a certain, like, certain part of, like, whether it was the establishment in terms of teachers or whatever, who did not have that curiosity anymore. And I understand it myself because there comes a point when you become busy with your own stuff and that is requiring all your attention and energy and then like how much time do you have still to go out and listen to everything that's happening and what about the new up and coming thing and all that stuff. But at the same time, indeed, if you're in a position like you are where you're interacting with students and stuff, you can kind of skip that and just yeah. get them to to feed you all the stuff without yeah. having to do the the extra legwork kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I think it is important to 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 maintain that curiosity somehow. I mean, to yeah. me, it's also what part of this podcast is about. It's like exactly this is another great thing that that just basically helps to you know tie the community together and 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 make it yeah make it stronger. Yeah, you know? hopefully, but, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the very fact that this exists is is a is a is a is a great thing. Cool. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, is there is there anything, uh, any other projects, any stuff that you're up to, stuff coming up that you want to mention, uh, things you're doing as a sideman? I don't know. The- uh, well, let me see. Um, well, one of the things that I'm uh, really enjoyed lately is uh, playing with a young trumpet player called Ian Cleaver. Yeah, we have no a, relation to me. I have to always oh, say that to people. Oh, yeah, but oh yes. He's, yes. Uh, yeah. we share Ian a last name. Ian is not Pat, and Pat is not Ian. <laughs> we have a three-letter first name. Now remember that and- finally. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ian is uh, uh, yeah I really enjoy playing with him uh, Ian is kind of an evolutionary guy too so so you know we, we play music of Misha Mengelberg and it, you know we go in and out of the changes we, we go in and out of each other's solo we, we, we um, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of interaction between him and my playing, so I really enjoy that one. That's that's uh, that's definitely a um, uh, uh, one of on my A list, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Ian will be on the show at some point in the fairly nearest oh, right. future. He seems yeah, like one cool. of those people who inevitably will find his way here. Um, <laughs> Cool. Uh, yeah. I always, I always like to end the show by asking my guests to recommend something for people to check out. It can be just about anything, uh, something that you enjoy, found inspiring, something that you think deserves some attention. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I was thinking about that, but I was. Um, I don't. 
Well, maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, so there's this Oedipure, um, uh, which is, was, um, everybody knows the legend of Oedipus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Killing his father and marrying his mother. Um, and there's the, the great Pasolini uh, film called Oedipure. Okay. Um, and Oedipu, Oedipus um, stands on the crossing and knows his fate and he tries to escape his fate, actually. That's that's what, you know... Yeah, the, that's the, the whole... The, that's the whole thing, of course. Where the tragedy. Yeah. And the tragedy is... Oedipus is uh, standing on the crossing and with his fingers closed, um, he is, um, you know, uh, turning on the crossing mm-hmm. because he wants... He doesn't know which road to go, and he's afraid he's going to take the wrong road, <laughs> you know. And 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 actually, that he's af- of course he's afraid that he actually will um, end up, you know, killing his father, marrying his mother. So he's making these turns with his eyes closed, hoping to um, go on a different road in his life. And of course, you know, when he's finally ready with turning he points at a road and he's going into the road exactly where he will meet his father later yeah. on so you <laughs> cannot escape your fate yeah ladies and gentlemen and you might as well embrace it <laughs> cool uh Jasper, i think that's a good place to uh leave it thanks so much for being on the show thank you <laughs> once again that was Jasper blom more music from him in just a moment Many thanks to my fellow members of Catrio for providing the intro and outro music for the show. Please subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. Leave a favorable review or star rating wherever that may be. And tell any other potential listeners that you might know if you have any friends who are interested in this kind of podcast. That is really helpful to me. Go to patreon.com slash sound of the moment if you want to make a donation either one-off or on a monthly basis to help me with the costs of running this show. Even the smallest amount is really helpful and thank you so much to those of you who already do that. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can find me at Facebook on the Sound of the Moment page or you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. Let's hear more music from Jasper now. This piece is called Running Gag and it features trombonist Niels Vogram. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
Thank <laughs> you.